Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 39, and we're going to be taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through 13 under the theme, God loveth a cheerful giver. And I want to start out just by sharing a, a brief experience with you that kind of sets the stage for a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. When I was going through some rather difficult things in relation to a divorce that I went through, um, some things that were associated to that, just basically having my life turned upside down, I was in a pretty dark place. And one of the places where it seemed to get even darker was holidays. <laughs> they would seem to be just a reminder of my now broken life that I was living. What once were some of my most favorite times of the year became some of the most painful. Well, there was one Thanksgiving that ended up changing everything for me, especially when it came to the way that I looked at how to face some of these challenges and how to get through them that we go through. It was several years ago, and I, again, I was approaching Thanksgiving. It was supposed to be a wonderful time, but my kids were going to be going with their mother. My family were all going with their in-laws, and so I was looking at this particular Thanksgiving just being alone. And I thought, you know what? Fine. That's, it's going to be just fine. I'm going to get some food and just watch football. I'll show you world kind of attitude is what I was putting out there. But nobody wants to do that on Thanksgiving. Truth is, I just was feeling sorry for myself. And as it got closer and closer, I continued to kind of spiral a little bit and thinking more and more negative thoughts to the point where I recognized that I had to do something to change. I had to do something different if I didn't want to stay in this dark place. But what? Well, in the other podcast that I've been doing, I was focusing on gratitude for the month of November just because, well, it's Thanksgiving. Seems like a good fit. And so day after day, I was putting messages out there about the significance and the importance of gratitude and all the, the things that it can do for us. And I thought, that's it. That's what I need to do. I need to try to focus on being thankful and express that in some way that maybe I haven't before, especially around Thanksgiving. Well, long story short, I decided to do something for a select group of people that I just know that I had been taking for granted, and that was gas station attendants. For whatever reason, they came to mind to me. I had had some previous experiences where on holidays, they were the only ones that were uh, working, that were open when I needed something. And, uh, and I thought, I'm going to do something this Thanksgiving to just tell them thanks. So I thought, well, maybe I'll get a bunch of pies, thank you note, a gift card, and go and just deliver them on Thanksgiving since I don't really have anything else to, to do or, or anywhere else to go. And I reached out on Facebook to see if anyone else might be interested, put a little fundraiser together, and I just was so shocked at the response and the outpouring of support and others that were in a similar situation that wanted to help and do something like this as well. We raised over $5,000 and delivered over 40 pies just within our community to gas station attendants. And it was so fun. I literally did not go around delivering pies as much as I went around collecting hugs and smiles and in some cases even tears. And it taught me such a valuable lesson. And it was such an amazing experience so much so that 
I will never now not do that on Thanksgiving. And as each subsequent Thanksgiving has come around, we've only raised more money and delivered more pies. This last Thanksgiving, we raised over $8,000 and delivered over 240 pies throughout the community with thank you notes and gift cards. And the thing that I took away from this that I wanted to share here just at the beginning is the significance of giving. Unfortunately, we live in a world that is all about receiving. How much can I get? What has somebody done for me lately? Kind of an attitude mentality that is so common, so prevalent in, in the world and in our society in general and in us. And it's a part of our human nature that I believe we're here to change. When I was in some of my darkest places, especially as that Thanksgiving was approaching, one of the things I recognized is that it was all about me. What had happened to me? What was going to happen to me? What I was to be receiving or missing out on? What I wasn't receiving? I wasn't focused on anyone else. I wasn't focused on giving. And when I shifted that inside of me, that particular Thanksgiving, instead of focusing on my problems, I started to focus on others. And it started to give instead of thinking about receiving or what I wasn't getting. Everything changed for me. That Thanksgiving ended up, instead of being one of the worst, being one of the very best that I've ever experienced. That is what really this lesson is all about and why I believe God loveth, as he says, a cheerful giver. And we're going to talk a little bit more today about what that means, what that looks like, and how to go about cultivating that within us. The background of these chapters are as, as follows. What would you do if you heard that a congregation of saints in another area was struggling in poverty? This was the situation that Paul described to the Corinthian saints in 2 Corinthians 8-9. through He hoped to persuade the Corinthian saints to donate some of their abundance to saints in need. But beyond a request for donations, Paul's words also contain profound truths about giving. Every man according as he proposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. In our day, there are still saints throughout the world who are in need of help. Sometimes the most that we can do for them is to fast and donate fast offerings. In other cases, our giving can be more direct and personal. Whatever forms our sacrifices take, it's worth examining our motivations for giving. Are our sacrifices expressions of love? After all, it's love that makes a giver cheerful. Love that introduction and that thought. And that's really the first principle I want to look at today in chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Let's just read through those together. Mark everything in here that you love. There's some great principles just about what it means to be a giver and to give cheerfully. As Paul writes, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he proposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. One of the things I love about that, and young people take note of this, this is one of the great principles you can er learn early on in your life, is just at the very beginning in which he says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. In a lot of ways, it refers to the law of the harvest, where really the more that we sow, the more that we reap. That's how farmers make their living. It's all about sowing at the beginning. The more they sow, the more seeds they plant, they know they have a better chance of receiving more as a result of that. 
And this really is an eternal principle. The more that we give, the more that we will receive. Yet again, we live in a world that looks at that very differently. That is very much the opposite of that. And I know young people, that's something that you're going to struggle with at a very early age. It is all about what can I get? I want to have this. I want to have that. And while there's nothing necessarily wrong with those desires, God wants us to have things as well. He wants us to, to find joy in having the desires of our hearts. Yet he also wants us to learn to let go of the world, to be able to give so that we can receive everything that he has. In fact, that's one of the dichotomies of living in the world. It seems like, as we've talked about before, God has in mind to give us everything that he has and everything that he is. But the irony of it is that we'll only be ready for it when we're willing to let it go. So in many ways, in a very literal way, the best way for us to get all that God has is to be willing and able to let it all go. And we best begin to develop that within us by giving to others. And this even applies to spiritual things. It even applies to your testimony. I've talked to many young people that struggle feeling like they have a testimony or getting to a place where they have experiences that help them to have a testimony. President Packer taught this particular truth. He said at one occasion, Oh, if I could teach you this one principle, a testimony is to be found in the bearing or sharing of it. And again, doesn't that kind of go against our nature? We think that in relation to a testimony that we have to receive first before we give. But again, in God's world, it's very different than ours. He wants us to give and then we receive. When you open your mouth and you share your faith and your belief with others, he will always give you more in return. That is a true principle. Paul also points out this importance and significance of giving these things willingly and happily. That's what God wants. I want you to think about how you would feel if someone gave you something that they didn't really want to give. If they went to give you a gift and they were upset or they were angry about it. Wouldn't you just want to say, then keep the gift. I don't need it <laughs> that, that much. I don't want it. If you're going to give it to me that way. What makes a gift special isn't necessarily what it is, but how it's given. And it's the same when it comes to God. Even in the Book of Mormon, in the Book of Moroni, the Lord points out that when a gift is given begrudgingly, it's pretty much counted as if we've kept the gift. God doesn't want us to give him anything in that way. And I think that one of the things that has been implemented to help us to begin to learn all this is tithing. We have the opportunity to, to give of what we have, and it's not that much. 10% isn't asking a lot, but it really is an opportunity for us to learn how to give and to give back to the, the Lord and to give willingly. It's really a step in the right direction of learning to let go of the world. And when it comes to giving the right way, we also are taught the importance and significance of that through the, the story of the widow's might, where the Savior on one occasion was watching as donations were being made into the treasury of, of the church. And he watched as individuals with great amounts of money really made a big show of it. They made sure that everyone saw what they were doing. And the Lord pointed out that if that's the reward that they wanted, then that's exactly the reward that they're going to get. But then he saw an individual widow woman come up and discreetly put in a single mite. And he acknowledged that those that had given previously had given out of their abundance. But he said something along the lines of, but she in her penury or of her poverty hath cast in all the living that she had and basically given more than all of them. 
Again, it's not about what we give, but about how we give it. And then the last thing associated with this that Paul teaches in verse 8 is that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have all sufficiency in all things, and that you may abound to every good work. Giving to the Lord and giving to others is also an act of faith. We give away in hopes of receiving more, or we trust that by giving we will still have enough. And Paul reminds us that God is in control of everything, that he's able to make all grace abound toward you, everything that you need. And I love the word grace in that it implies that God will help us to do things that we can't. We do what we can, and he'll take care of what we can't. That really is what grace is all about. It is enabling power that helps us to do more than what we would otherwise have been able to. That's one of the great blessings that comes from giving is that there's an outpouring of grace to help us find success in life, in our homes, in our families, in school, whatever it might be. When you give to the Lord, again, you will always receive more than what you give. Now, uh, a couple key questions for you to consider in regards to this principle of being a cheerful giver. Number one, what does it look like to you to be a cheerful giver? What do you kind of see when you think of a person that gives in that way? Another question, what helps you to give from a place of willingness instead of reluctance? How are you doing at paying your tithing? That's a great question for all of us to consider. And how can you give more in faith than what you give in substance? Another question might be, how do you feel when someone gives you a gift excitedly and happily as opposed to reluctantly or angrily? Another question, how can we do better at giving to the Lord in that way? Or what are some of the ways in which you can give more to others? And what are some of the things you can give other than money? Remember, it's not about just giving money. And lastly, do you trust and believe that the Lord can and will give you so much more than you ever give away? Now, the next two principles come from the same set of verses and are very closely related. And while in the beginning here, they may not seem like they relate to being a cheerful giver, I think you'll see by the end that they do. In fact, They're tied very closely to the most important thing that God wants us to give him willingly. We'll talk about that as we get to it. But these verses are chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. I want to go through and read these and just mark, again, anything that sticks out to you as we do that. Paul says, starting in verse 6, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I want to pause there for just a moment. One of the things that Paul is alluding to is that he has a desire, like I think all of us, to be recognized, to have glory, to have power, to to be seen of men, to be seen of, of people. There is a desire for that in every single one of us. That's a part of the natural man that's in us. And it comes from an element of pride. Pride, as President Benson said, is one of the it is the universal sin. It's in every single one of us. And it is growing in prevalence in the world today. When young people, such as yourselves that are, are listening, were asked what they wanted to grow up to be in our world today, just there was a survey that I, I came across just within the past several years. 
the typical answers that were usually at the top of the list, things like being a doctor, uh, being a professional athlete, being all these things that we hope to be that kids aspire to when they're young have been replaced by the number one thing that young people want to be, which is an influencer, or in other words, to be seen of men. And Paul points out and recognizes that that is a temptation that is inherent to human nature. Even he himself felt a desire to have glory. And that's a part of the mortal experience and and things that we're here to work on and to overcome. And he does say this about it, that lest he should be exalted above measure or start to think too much of himself, which again, we're all prone to do, through the abundance of the revelations that he had received. There was given to him, he says, a thorn in the flesh. And I want you to mark that phrase, a thorn in the flesh. And I want you to think about what a thorn is like and what it does. Imagine, uh, there have been a lot of times where I've gone hiking and I've gotten a little thorn in my sock <laughs> as I've walked around that has just poked me and, and hurt me if almost every step of the way. I'm sure many of you have gotten little sharp things in your socks or in your shoes and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or anytime you've just run into a bush accidentally or touch something that you didn't mean to touch that had a sharp thorn attached to it, well, it's painful. Those little pricks, they, they hurt. They are there. It's, there's pain associated with it. And in this case, Paul references that this is a consistent pain because he has been given a thorn that is in the flesh. And we don't know what that is. It's something clear that he has had to struggle with throughout his life. And so again, it really could be anything. Paul could have had a stuttering problem. He could have had a, an anxiety issue. Um, he could have had some kind of a temptation or weakness that just continued to, to prod at him and that he struggled with. Um, it could have been a health issue that just continued to come up and manifest itself in his life. We don't know. It could have been a financial issue for all we know. But there was something that was given to him that he was experiencing over and over and over. But he points out that it ended up being something that was helping him more than it was hurting him because he recognized that this struggle he had been given was given to him to keep him humble so that he wouldn't be exalted in his own mind above measure. But I want you to look at what he did in the next verse about it. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. In other words, he prayed at least three times, probably a lot more, to have this particular thing removed from his life, to overcome it, to be able to get past it. And look at what the Lord's answer is in the next verse. In verse 9, it reads, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, what was the Lord's answer? It was a resounding no. (laughs) Paul, I'm not going to remove that from you and from your life. Isn't it kind of interesting to to see that struggle and that experience that Paul's relating to us? And the question I'd pose to you is why? Why wouldn't the Lord take this away? Isn't that a good thing? A good desire to want to overcome a weakness, to overcome a temptation, to have a health issue changed, a personal struggle of some kind overcome? All those things are good and righteous desires. But the Lord, again, his answer was no. Paul's initial reaction to his thorn was probably not unlike most of us. 
Like, why? Why, Lord, would you do this to me? Why me? Why do I have to go through this? What have I done to deserve this? Please remove this from me and from my life. This is not fair. But Paul understood some truths, or he came to understand some truths that helped him to change the way he saw these things. And I want to give you just a few thoughts from prophets and apostles that might help you with those things as well that you feel are not fair and are not right in your life. Things that that you haven't just struggled with once, but you are struggling with a lot. That you are continuing to struggle with over and over and over. Your own personal thorn in the flesh. Something that I'm sure you have prayed for relief from over and over and over. President Packer taught this on one occasion, and this has always been a profound statement that has reminded me in large part one of the main reasons why we're here, which is to be tested, and we're going to be tested. And there's purpose, although we can't always see it, in that testing and in the way in which we're testing. President Packer once taught that some things that ought to be put in order are not put in order because we cannot control them. Things we cannot solve we must survive. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Nephi, in the Book of Mormon on one occasion, was being asked by the Spirit if he understood some very complex things that he was seeing and being taught. To which Nephi truthfully answered, I don't understand the meaning of all things. I don't clearly see and understand everything. But then he said this, But I know that God loveth his children. And Elder Maxwell basically on one occasion taught in referencing that truth that we at times in our lives, he said, we don't know the meaning of all things. Like with Nephi, we just don't know why things are happening the way that they are. But he said, we know that God loves us. And that is enough. And or that is sufficient, as he says, to get us by and through anything. Sometimes that's all we have to fall back on. I don't understand why this is happening to me, but I know that God loves his children, and I know that he won't do anything, save it be for the benefit of the world, as Nephi said, or for the benefit of his children, or for the benefit, or for my own personal benefit. There's purpose and reason beyond what we can see. And one of the things that the Lord points out, that Paul points out as well, is when the Lord tells him, that my grace, Paul, is sufficient for thee. Or in other words, yeah, I'm not going to remove this from you, but that doesn't mean I won't help you with it. That my grace is sufficient for you to face this particular thorn in the flesh that you've been given for reasons that you don't understand. I can help you through it. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I will help you deal with it throughout your life or for as long as I see fit for you to struggle with it. And there's reason and purpose behind it and that you will become stronger through it because your weakness, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And this, as I said, relates to being a cheerful giver. How? Well, because one of the most important things that we could possibly ever give God is our will to trust Him with what is happening in our life, to develop the mindset, not my will, but thine be done. Basically, to surrender ourselves to God. President Nielsen has talked a lot about the meaning of Israel and how to adopt the Israel type of mentality in us because Israel means 
as it's translated to let God prevail or to surrender to him, to give to him. I don't know what your thorn in the flesh might be that you've been given to deal with and to struggle with, something that is not most likely going to go away overnight. You might have a stuttering problem. You may be struggling to make connections and friends. There might be sleep issues that you are dealing with almost daily. There may be anxiety that you are feeling that continues to come up again and again. You may struggle with self-confidence. Or there may be certain temptations that just continue to seem to plague you. Or there might be some kind of other health issue or mental health issue that you are struggling with. But please understand that there's reason for that and there's purpose. And one of those may just be to save you from yourself. To help you remain humble and dependent on the Lord. Elder Ray Wood of the 70 in a conference talk referenced this thorn in the flesh when he said in the opening verse, Paul reasons that the success of his missionary efforts and the constancy of his heavenly blessings could cause him to be lifted up and to forget to seek the grace and goodness of God. And that the thorn was to serve as a reminder of his dependence upon the Lord. Thus, he correctly identifies the purpose of his affliction and the reason it was not removed. He is therefore not resentful nor offended by the Lord's refusal to comply with his prayerful requests. As hard as it may be, he willingly submits. He recognizes that willing submission to whatever God imposes brings God's grace to strengthen us and help us bear that which is imposed. I love that statement, that thought. That I might not be exalted <laughs> is a phrase that I would highly encourage you to mark and to think of as it relates to your own personal struggles. Maybe some of these things that we struggle with are really some of God's greatest gifts to us. And although we can't see it now, maybe we will profoundly thank Him for them one day. Now, a couple key questions for you to consider on this. One, again, try to identify how this applies to you and relates to you. What has been a thorn in your flesh for you in your life? And have you prayed to have it removed? And why might God have said no to it being removed from your life? How can you better accept God's will for you and have it in your life? How has it maybe helped to keep you humble? How has your particular thorn helped to remind you of your need for God's help in your life? And in this way, how might you come to see this particular struggle or weakness as a gift as well? Now, the last principle I just want to focus on quickly is really Paul's summary statement at the end of these verses in coming to terms with this thorn that he recognizes has been given to help him to keep him from being exalted and help keep him humble. At the end of verse 10, Paul points out after learning this about why this thorn in the flesh is going to remain with him. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. In other words, I take pleasure in my struggle. I take pleasure in the anxiety that I deal with. I take pleasure in the depression that I struggle with. I take pleasure in struggling to make friends. I take pleasure in struggling financially. I, I take pleasure in whatever it is that I am struggling with in my life for Christ's sake. And then this beautiful phrase, for when I am weak then 
am I strong? One of the things that the Lord is very intent on revealing to us and helping us to see are our weaknesses. That is one of the first steps that is required to come to Him. We have to first begin to see where we're weak and maybe why we need Him and then trust that He has the power to take weak things and make them strong for us. Elder Neil A. Maxwell once taught that it's not an easy thing to be shown one's weakness. Nevertheless, this is part of coming to Christ, and it is a vital, if painful, part of God's plan of happiness. I know some people feel defeated, he said, by their personal weaknesses and succumb to despair. Some attempt to hide, ignore, or compensate for their shortcomings because of pain and embarrassment. But as the Lord told Moroni, recognizing and acknowledging a weakness is a necessary part of overcoming it. Because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong. And I I want you to begin to see a little more clearly the value of weakness and what it can do for you over time, especially when you turn them over to the Lord and trust as he says that his grace is sufficient for you to deal with them. That maybe a part of the purpose of that weakness or of that struggle is to help you to be just as strong as you were weak, to help you to do more than what you would have otherwise done. Sister Ansi Pingree of the Relief Society General Presley once told a story that I think perfectly illustrates this idea and concept and principle of a thorn in the flesh and why God gives them to us. And most importantly, how he can then take them or make weak things become strong in us. She said a little girl named Jackie faced a devastating weakness that deeply affected her life, an inability to read. For years, she experienced daily rejection and humiliation. She said, I was in second grade and already knew that I was dumb. I just didn't ever really catch on to reading. Day after day, year after year, the humiliation continued, Jackie said. I was either told directly I was stupid or was asked, haven't I already told you that a thousand times? She was labeled lazy and a daydreamer. And comments like these, she said, caused me such emotional stress that it was like having a curtain drawn across my mind. Being called upon to read aloud in class was excruciating. Even when I knew the words, I could not say them, she recalled. Tears would well up in my eyes and blur the pages. Soon Jackie learned to cover for her weakness or avoid situations that would reveal her dreaded secret. When she and her friends visited the local library, she followed their lead in checking out popular mystery books. But even though she carried the books home, she could never read them or join in her friends' lively discussions about the characters and plots. She also found herself failing nearly every subject in school. Finally, at age 15, she decided to drop out of school and get married. This decision could have led to more serious problems and a permanent detour from learning. Instead, though, through the, the loving, ongoing encouragement of her husband, the watchful care of the Lord and her own determination, things began to change. My husband has been my lifesaver, she explained. He always treated me like I was the smartest person he ever saw. Many years later, this mother of eight children graduated from high school, one year before her eldest daughter. Jackie continued her education beyond high school, but each day was a struggle. I cried every day. It was so hard, she said. Her husband gave her priesthood blessings, and a daughter tutored her in algebra, leaving her little notes of encouragement. In faith, Jackie turned to the Lord and prayed for his help. Finally, after years of effort, she received a college degree at age 50. Her weakness ultimately became a great strength 
as she pursued a career path that became a great blessing to others also struggling to read. The little girl who once thought she was too dumb to read now directs a statewide program that helps children with reading difficulties. Isn't that an amazing story and experience? Do you see in that experience that Jackie had just how the Lord took a weakness and made it into an incredible strength? I think sometimes that is the value of weakness. They can become some of our greatest strengths. People that never really struggled at reading, most of them would probably have never started an organization to help others that couldn't read. But because Jackie had that weakness, through Christ, it became a strength to her, more so than what it would have been to most other people. I really have come to see for myself personally that because of the law of opposition, that sometimes God uses these weaknesses to develop a unique strength. It's kind of like, uh, like with Captain America. If you remember, Steve Rogers was chosen not because of his strength, but because of what? Because of his weakness. Because, as the doctor told him on an occasion, because the strong man who has known power all of his life may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. So God may in fact have a plan to turn your weaknesses, whatever they are, your thorns in the flesh, into a strength that isn't found in most other people. Through Him, our strengths can become as proportionate to us as our weaknesses were. That's the value of weakness in Christ, and I believe that this is what Paul sees and why he sees such value in his own weaknesses enough to say that I glory in them. Because, as he has learned to say through Christ, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, in anxieties, in depressions, in health issues, in whatever it is, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I love that principle in young people. I hope that that will give you hope in facing some of those challenges that seems to be an inherent part of your life. A couple of key questions for you to consider. Why do you understand from this that God gives us weaknesses? What do you take away from what we've talked about so far? How have you found strength through Christ in weakness in your own life? How have you seen Christ turn weaknesses into strength in your life or in the lives of others? How can these truths, these principles and doctrines, help you to have more patience with those things that you are struggling with now? What did you like most from the story about Jackie? How do you feel that you can apply what it taught in your own life today? And how will you look at your weaknesses and struggles differently after this lesson? I hope that's been helpful, you guys. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way. He is the full truth. And He is the abundant life. And He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow him better once again this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, have a great week. I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.